0: This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. You're listening to White Coat Black Art in the Summer. This is an encore of an episode that aired in December 2022. Police officers have been nicknamed psychiatrists in blue. That's because a cop is often the first responder for people in a mental health crisis. Bad outcomes, from some of those highly charged encounters, have led to calls to find a better way to help people in crisis, and maybe sometimes to prevent the crisis itself. Is this 103? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. A new program in Scarborough, a district on the east side of Toronto, is doing all of that and more. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rangel.
1: Very nice to meet you. I'm Raquel.
0: Hi, Raquel. Producer hi. Jeff Goods yeah. and I this are at Tybu Community Good. Health Centre.
1: So the team actually just ran out to something and we'll be back shortly. Oh. So we're a little bit quiet here right okay. now. <laughs> okay. But I can give you guys a little bit of a tour as to where everything is and what we do. Sure. So, so we Before you give us a
0: tour, why don't you say, hi, my name is, tell us okay. what you do and where you do it.
1: Okay. So hi, my name is Raquel Hamlet. I uh, work for Tybu Community Health Centre and right now the manager of the Toronto Community Crisis Centre.
0: Taibu Community Health Centre is a not for profit that serves black identifying communities in Toronto. Taibu is a Kiswahili word that means be in good health.
1: So, so, again, so we've kind of just moved into this building, so it's a little bit rough, not everything is done just yet.
0: The centre provides access to primary care, health promotion, and disease prevention in a setting that's culturally affirming. In April, they launched a new service a mobile crisis response team for clients who need quick access to mental health services we're here to check out this entirely new kind of first responder. So
1: we've we've been trying to get a lot of donations. So recently we've been getting donations for socks, gloves, blankets. We got these thing, hot hands. So as it's getting colder, we're getting things that we'll be able to hand out. Hot paws. Um, Yeah, hot pots. So we're getting things that we can actually hand out to communities so they can stay warm for a lot of them that are precariously housed. All these other things, the tampons always. We've got hygiene kits, sanitizer. So again, a lot of the population that we're seeing, whether we actually go in because because we've been called and there's a crisis to go to, sometimes the van is just kind of driving around town and people will come up to it and say, hey, do you have this? Do you have water? Do you have? So we've tried to stock the van with water, granola bars. We have harm reduction supplies. So you've got
0: naloxone kits? Absolutely.
1: Naloxone kits are a
0: This month. isn't just medical. This is all about addressing the socioeconomic Absolutely. determinants of health.
1: Absolutely. Social determinants of health are the number one thing that we're trying to do because a lot of times that's how people end up in crisis because the social determinants of health are not being met. This is just our docking station for everything. So every morning, there's usually four radios in here, so the radios stay here. iPads go out with the team. Who are you communicating with so by we're radio? I'm communicating with 211 via radio.
0: 211 is a helpline. The more familiar 911 connects people to emergency services. 211 connects them to social services, programs, and community supports. It's the first point of contact for would be clients of Taibu. Raquel Hamlet explains. So tell me about 211.
1: Okay, so in terms of 211, they are the main dispatcher for all of the crisis services. So we're still trying to get the community used to calling 211 because everybody's used to calling 911. So some of our calls do still come through 911. If it does go to 911, they know to transfer to 211 and then to transfer over to us. Um, But yeah, so 211 does all of the screening. So prior to the program being launched, 211 worked with us to kind of come up with a script as to what kind of questions to ask people. So we knew exactly what kind of crisis we were going to, uh, because the team is not allowed to go to anything violent. So anything that could potentially put the team in danger would have us call for a co-assist. So the call would still come in. Uh, they'd let us know what the situation is, but you know maybe the person has a history of violence or they're yelling a lot or you know we get a little bit of background. Um, and once we know that, it's up to us to say okay we're going to go in and see how it goes, or we're going to call 911 for a co-assist. So just in case they'll be outside, so we'll go in first see what we can do, and if there is a violent situation, police is already there.
0: Suddenly, the tour is interrupted.
1: This is Mia. Hello. B- Mia is hey, yeah. one of our mobile crisis Hi. workers and also a case manager. Hi. We have um, an urgent dispatch right, right yeah, now. I'm hearing it right now.
2: Yeah, okay. we have a suicidal ideation and domestic oh. violence situation. Oh, okay. So sh- the, the daughter is not, not in that state, but the mother would like TCCS to come and just... Intervene because okay. she can see her starting to escalate, and she doesn't want a repeat of the domestic violence. Absolutely. Police are on the way, an ambulance.
1: Okay. Okay. And we've been requested to go as well.
2: Absolutely. Okay. Dispatch just came in. Okay. So, Absolutely. And
0: time is of the essence. Mia Benite is a mobile crisis intervention specialist, one of fourteen full-time and part-time workers who visit people in crisis. Okay. So you know what? While you're, why don't you want to talk, as you as what are you preparing? What are you getting?
2: I'm putting on my fanny pack that has PPE in it, mm-hmm. hand sanitizer booties to go in to people's places, gloves, stuff like that. We also carry in a lock zone kit with us. We have our branded masks. And I'm just going to grab some gloves. And that's what we take with us. We also take radios, tablets. This tablet gives us the dispatch portal so we can read the information on the dispatch portal. And then over here, we grab a radio. So dispatch, this is Tybu, van one. We are a 108, and then off we go. Ten eight means we're on the way.
0: Prep complete. We head out. Okay. Mobile crisis intervention specialists like Mia travel in pairs. They drive to their calls in a bland-looking vehicle. Toronto Community Crisis Service. It's a white van with this logo for Toronto Community Crisis Service. So it's not an ambulance. We
2: have a back seat that we transport people in crisis in to hospital or to wherever facility that they
0: need. And some plexiglass up front. It's roomy. Roomy and discreet. They don't want to create a spectacle. They just want to be effective. Mia says they're busy. Mia, how long's your
2: shift? 12 hours. 12 hours. 12 hour shift. It depends on the day. It depends on the community. We can be dispatched. I think the most dispatches we had in one 12-hour shift was 11. Wow. Back-to-back. Yeah, we get a lot of shelter calls.
0: Shelter calls? Yep. What is that like? Like what's going on in the shelter typically that uh, that We're would result in, in a call? People
2: people, you know, like they're temporarily housed in a shelter, especially the hotel shelters. So it could be drug overdose. It could be like the concurrent disorder piece. A lot of the time it's schizophrenia, unmedicated schizophrenia, where people have stopped taking their meds. And then the unraveling starts to begin, right? That's often
0: how we see them in the emergency department. Exactly. They've gone off their medication for a while. Exactly,
2: yeah. Brian. I used to work in the emergency department. Where did you work? I worked at Toronto General in Toronto Western, part of the peer in the ED pilot that became a part of the services at UHN. So I was one of the peers that started that program, dealing with first contact with marginalized people and... Um, Yes, the marginalized population. You have lived experience? I certainly do. I do.
0: Like Mia, some mobile crisis responders are peer support workers. Their lived experience helps them empathize with people in crisis. Others come from the ranks of nurses, social workers, people who work in shelters and harm reduction sites. They receive six weeks of training with specific focus on the black and indigenous population. Mia says the program is separate from police and ambulance, yet they work closely with them. That's because there's always a chance that first responders might need to be there too. Mia fills us in on the call. By the way, she talks in acronyms. TPS means Toronto Police Services. PIC means Person in Crisis.
2: Today we have a a daughter, uh, an adult daughter, a victim of domestic violence, possibly substance use in the past. TPS will attend. So that's telling us that they've had challenges in the past with substance use may have had in a relationship that was abusive and they may have been self-medicating and this is a mother calling on behalf of daughter who is not aware of our arrival so our job is to immediately communicate with the mother and ask permission to speak with the person in crisis because if they're not aware of us coming we have to do this as gently as possible because our job is to build rapport do an assessment and get the best possible care, immediate possible care we can get for this PIC, which may lead to a transport to hospital. TPS is there. Toronto Police Service is there. It may lead to an apprehension, but based on the information we have right now, it doesn't seem an apprehension is in play. I think we don't know, but we will find out when we get there. It depends how escalated this person is. And if they have suicidal ideation, which they do, if they have a plan those kind of questions come kind of organically how do you
0: prepare for a call like this one thing you do is you receive information on a tablet what else do you do to prepare
2: i i do some deep breathing center myself you know sort of elevate my own energy so i present as neutral and in support of the pic so so i ground myself to put it you know in layman's terms (laughs)
0: where does that skill come from
2: My own, for me, it's been a part of my routine since I had, I started the healing process from my own mental uh, unwellness and concurrent disorder. So it was a part of my healing process. And now the skill is extraordinarily useful in dealing in, in the field that I work in now. It's extraordinarily useful. I was interested in meditation. I was interested in the mind, how to heal the mind, how to balance the mind, how to live with a disability, like uh, a mental health diagnosis. And it's really changed um, the way I live my life.
0: How much do you to have to be prepared for a range of potential outcomes?
2: That's a really good question because it is something that comes intrinsically to the team because we know that we could be potentially going into very escalated, some, potentially sometimes dangerous, not as in violent, but it could get you know, a little uncomfortable sometimes when people are escalated. Sometimes people throw things, maybe not at us, but around. So to prepare ourselves, I'm always, I think we always, we're never truly prepared because we're going in blind. We don't really know, but I think that our skill set allows us to be as prepared as we possibly can be to confront any situation that comes up.
0: How important to your success and, and to the success of the program is the fact that you're not the police?
2: It is extremely important. We have come across so many people in the community in now I don't, right. that have had not really positive experiences with TPS, and it's not because it's just TPS in the nature of how you know, the Toronto Police Service or all, all policing services are, are trained, and you know, they're, not to say, I mean, there is systemic racism built right into our structures, so it's really, really important that people have a crisis team that comes that use Toronto Police Services use EMS, of course, but are not those services that are able to meet them where they're at as a community member, not as an authority over. It creates an amazing opportunity to gather information that other services cannot gather because people do not feel comfortable sharing that information. So we often get a lot more information to help the care stream do their job that, that a lot of time is not given because of the fear um, or past experiences whether it's their children or themselves or a family member or a community member being witnessed and you know an apprehension isn't it isn't soft <laughs> right it can be challenging for people right and then and often people with mental health have the ability to focus on flashbacks and remember these things and those filters are are activated when the police show up and then they sometimes don't have control over their response.
0: Is this it? We arrive at our destination.
2: Now we do documentation about like when we arrive so we just have to write down when we've arrived.
1: So we'll walk with you. Sure. When we get in sight, we'll let you
0: guys do your job. Thank you very
2: much. Yeah. Let's check the back. Yep. Around
0: the back. To protect the privacy of the client, we park the van a discreet distance from the client's home in Scarborough. Mia and her partner attend the call while Jeff and I wait. We'll be right back.
2: I've reported other people's stories for a long time, confronting people in power. But behind this broadcast voice, I've hidden my greatest secret. I was in an abusive marriage. It lasted a year, but it changed my life. Part of me always blamed myself for what happened, and I've lived with the shame. So many of us live like this. It's time we change that. I'm Anna Maria Tremonti. Welcome to Paradise is my story. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts.
0: You're listening to White Coat Art. This week, a ride along with a mobile crisis response team. It's part of Taiboo Community Health Centre, a not-for-profit that serves black identifying communities on the east side of Toronto. Taiboo is not the police, which is unusual since in most jurisdictions, it's law enforcement that responds to domestic violence and mental health emergencies. Unlike the police, Taibu crisis workers like Mia Benite have work or lived experience with the issues affecting their clients. They also receive training in autism and various mental health issues with specific focus on black and indigenous people. While we wait nearby and out of sight, Mia and her partner meet with the family. Mia returns to the van. How are things going? It's
2: a mom and daughter that have had some challenges due to covid and relationship with their the father and the husband so the mom had a really good job and she over covid and some domestic violence between her and her husband now they're in the process of getting a divorce she was unable to continue working so she's having prob- financial, huge financial problems. She, they, her and her husband own the house, but debt is piling up. Their mental health is declining. Um, and their home is, you know, in sh- for lack of a better word, kind of in shambles. So sh- they're seeking some mental health support, some social work support, and a referral to our SAPASI program for Afro-Caribbean youth with substance use and mental health. The police are not present. The police were called yesterday and, and and advised the mother and the PICs, because there's two of them, to call 2 one the mobile crisis team. And to be clear, who's the person in crisis in this case? Both of them. The mother and the daughter are both in crisis. Is that, is that
0: the way it works, that, that you, you, you often discover a family that it's thing? Oh,
2: yeah. yes, all the time. Yeah. So I've been on calls where the uh, family members called the PIC, and after talking with the mobile crisis team, realized that they're just as much crisis as the person in crisis that they called about because they don't know how to manage this these these hard things you know you know
0: so you were in there we weren't what did you learn you know i know you can't you can't uh, give private information but what are the kinds of things you learned that that weren't on the the uh, in the tablet when you walked in
2: i learned that there's been a history of sexual abuse and rape i've learned that there was domestic violence between the husband, the daughter, and the mother. So the husband was kind of managed his relationship with the, his wife and daughter with physical violence. I learned that she's been trying to pay off her mortgage by herself now on OW and is in debt. And is Ontario in, Works. Ontar- Ontario Works, thank you. That her property taxes are behind, her fees, sort of maintenance fees are behind. She doesn't have any food in her house. She doesn't know when she's gonna have her next meal because all of her money is going to try to save the house so she's pretty stressed out we didn't know any of that <laughs>
0: yeah and so she's dispatch. at risk of foreclosure
2: absolutely she is so, she
0: could, so this whole at family any, could be at risk of being of being homeless
2: they, absolutely they are they are at risk of being homeless and there's a litigation I mean the divorce proceedings going on in court she doesn't know she's got one phone in the home that she's paying for a daughter she gave up her phone they don't know when the electricity is going to be cut off. They don't know when...
0: So they're behind in the they're utilities They're behind as well. on all the utilities. This is an impossible
2: situation, and you've stepped into it. Yes, we have. And we will manage it through post-crisis case management and some supports for the youth. Yep. Realistically, how much can you can you help fix this? Well, we can do. She's okay. The house could be sold. She could get her debts paid off. But then, like, the rent... It's really expensive in Toronto. Yeah. So her mortgage is less than rent would be. Yeah. So we are... There's some stuff to figure out there, you know. There is some domestic violence agencies out there that help house women from domestic violence. We could, we could investigate the best possible place for, in these circumstances to move her. You know, she's got PTSD. Her daughter has PTSD. She's overwhelmed by the, her current life issues and problems. And this is just
0: this is just a normal call for us. This is just a normal call. You don't you don't look or sound overwhelmed.
2: No, because that's not something that's going to help the person in crisis, right? That's not that we are here to help them and meet them where they're at. We don't have a magic wand that's going to fix everything, but we can walk them through step by step of how we can mitigate these problems. And that's what we do.
0: So in the before time yeah. it would have been Toronto police services Absolutely. so what would have happened here different to, to compared to what you've just so done so Toronto
2: police services really I mean you can call 911 and there's an escalated daughter and they would do their assessment and if the if you know and if there's no charge involved they just basically they would say something like okay there's some contact information for victim services i mean they do their best to make those referrals but they don't know all of the things that are going on. That's not their job to be a social worker. So they would do their best to make that referral and to support the circumstances and then they would move on. That would be it. And
0: so less would have been.
2: I know in my interactions with Toronto Police Services, they do their best to give what they know like victim services or referrals and support but then they move on to the next their dispatch their next
0: so you think you've got this family at risk several steps ahead com- by
2: comparison by comparison definitely definitely now she has information she didn't even know that the resources that we discussed were out there so we discussed like immediate emergency compassionate uh, scarborough compassionate food bank we would have food delivered to them immediately there are resources within OW it's called the housing stabilization fund so maybe we might get her a chunk of money to take off some of the pressure so we can able to maneuver and, and do our best to kind of manage and save that property, right? There are resources out there. It's just getting them and utilizing them. So a lot of what Finding you do... Them
0: and utilizing a them. A lot of what you do is case management. Absolutely. crisis
2: case management. On the spot. Get her so she can hear us. Because when we first interacted with her, she couldn't even hear us. She was so upset, right? So we have talk we talked to her she would like to not be there with the daughter we took her over across the street to a restaurant we bought her some food and we calmly talked her through things so she's able to hear us and give her some support around okay so this is an issue we can make a referral here this is an issue we'll do our best to figure this out
0: and will you check back and see how she's doing we do a follow-up yes we do
2: we are three months of intense case management and in that three months, we will stabilize the environment, stabilize as best we can the problems and, uh, that she's facing. And then what we'll do is we'll refer to more long-term social work and case management. So she will have somebody follow her along to help her through the healing process from there. Because once we get her stabilized, her PTSD and other mental health diagnosis will likely come into play. And she's going to need some life skill management there.
0: You feel good about what you just did?
2: I do. It makes my day.
0: (laughs) I do. What is it about it that makes your day?
2: People help people. People helping people. It's a huge deal to me. Yeah. Yeah. We can't always heal each other with a referral and and a pill, or I've said this before. But we can... Keep a, a high, positive energy so people match that energy and then in their consciousness consciousness becomes choice. And when people have choice, they make way better
0: decisions. And feeling backed up against a wall. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And that's a big deal to me. If I could change its shift in our conversation and interaction to open up choice within this person's mind about what to do next, because I'm not the one that knows what she really needs to do next. I can only give her information. But if she can tap into that, which we were very successful in doing, she now has choice. And then she can move on to stabilize herself.
0: It can't always go like this. It doesn't always go like that. (laughs) It's (laughs) a shitshow, if I can call it that.
2: Oh, we've had that. Oh, definitely. You know, I've had, you know, people tell me to get away from me. (laughs) I don't need your positive energy. I don't like this. You know, it doesn't always go that way. But we have a pretty good success rate with it. We do. People, when you talk to people, sometimes it takes time to de-escalate people. It takes time for them to to actually hear that you're, on, you're there for them. You're on their side. You're not going to arrest them. You're not going to rat them out. You're not going to, unless, you know, there's threat or there's, you know, it could be the possibility of harm. Now, that's a different story. Or children are being abused and stuff like that. We have, you know, our policies and guidelines to go by. But most of the time... It takes time, but we get to a place where they can hear us and find a place of choice on their own. And then with supports, they can start to manage their
0: life better. Does
2: that make sense?
0: Yeah, it <laughs> does make sense. Yeah, okay. yeah,
2: But it is one step at a time. We need more of us on the road. We need more people of all ethnicities and all backgrounds representing each other. And we also have to have these pe- people like us advising how policies are made. So, so they don't people don't just fall through the cracks and become labelled as not having value. Everybody has value, regardless of what they're producing for the world on a daily basis. They have value. They're human. Yeah.
0: We could do the five hour version of this, but we, uh, we, we have, we have, it's going to be, we're going to have trouble fitting all of this in, but it's really, it's, it's amazing. You're, it's, you're very generous with your time and your thoughts and your Well, I hope it's making sense to you. It is. Because yes.
2: it's, it's so important to me that one step at a time, people like us, we start to rearrange the world to something of well-being, right? Well-being, that's our goal. Anyway, i just got to run in and get a consent signed, and then we're off, okay? Okay. Okay, hey guys. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thank you.
0: I got dizzy hearing what Mia learned about the family and the resources she's trying to marshal on their behalf. Mia does a sophisticated form of case management. She also calms clients down in part because she empathizes with them and takes the time to listen. This one story shows why helping families in crisis manage the hard things, as Mia put it, should not be the job of the police. The success of pilot programs like this one could lead to many more. Mia says Taibu and programs like it will soon need more crisis workers, more vehicles, and more support services. I think she's right. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Jeff Goods with help from Sujata Berry and Stephanie Dubois. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.
2: For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.